Welcome to the Food Professor Podcast, Season 4, Episode 12. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm the Food Professor, Sylvain Charlebois. Our special guest on this episode is Alex Green, Chief Experience and Marketing Officer, Longos, uh, Ontario Grocer, uh, Regional Grocer, part of the Empire uh, yep. Group, uh, recorded live in person at the Coffee Association of Canada's Conference in Toronto. Uh, Sylvain, I think Alex is our very first grocery marketer on the podcast, if I have that right. What do you think? Yeah, I, I didn't realize that when we interviewed him, but uh, yeah, really jazzy fellow, lots to yeah. talk about. Uh, yeah. I mean, he certainly right. understands his craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not an it's not an aspect of 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 the business I understand very well, but mm-hmm. uh, he really he looks the part, and I think he fits well with the culture at Longo. So it yep. was really a really nice chat altogether. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting blend as role of of both uh, overall holistic experience and marketing. Uh, so it's a great conversation, and and uh, like I said, Longo's long standing independent. Grocer that uh, now has partnership with uh, Empire, Empire uh, yeah. going back a couple of years, so they got and that, a bigger and that and that, uh, that deal uh, mm-hmm. that marriage seems to be working very well. Yeah, I mean they, um, you know, the Empire being very smart. I mean, they, I guess uh, their prior deal was with uh, Farm Boy. Uh, this one's a little different. You know, they they know well enough to leave it alone. Basically, that's uh, right. They, you know, they bought it for a reason. They bought Farm Boy for a reason, and. If you walked in Farm Boy today, you'd be a little hard pressed to even know they're part of the Empire Group. Same with, uh, really, same with Longos. You wouldn't know it. Other than Longos had their own freestanding, uh, they bought Grocery Gateway many, many years ago. That's right. Uh, which is a great online uh, for those uh, for those not in you know the GTA Greater Toronto area. Uh, great online delivery service, and they've they've kind of folded. Yeah, they that were in. pioneers for Ontario. Yeah, very much, and and uh, they ha- they both had a B two B side, and anyway, they folded that into the bigger voila, uh, which I'm sure makes a whole lot of sense uh, for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, anyway, so that's, that's just one of the little things. I think that's the most obvious one, really, where you might know that they're part of uh, Empire, but certainly walking the store, you don't. Uh, very distinctive personality. Anyway, uh, we'll get to our interview with Alex uh, in a little bit later. So it's a big day for you today. It is yep. the release. That's uh, you know. It is a big, uh, drum roll please, kind of day. Uh, The release uh, of the Canada's Food Price Report 2024, the big kahuna, as I like to call it in terms of of research. So uh, you're, let's, let's start first of all, what's your day look like today? I mean, typically you get a lot of media buzz uh, for the report. I'd imagine you're getting a whole lot today. We're going to get into a little bit of about the report. I mean, if, as we were talking offline, if you haven't heard a, new, a news article about the report today, uh, where are you living? Um, <laughs> exactly. Maybe you're in solitary confinement somewhere. But other than that, I'd, I think you're going to hear about it. Now, you were, off, again, off mic, you were saying you, you've already done some run-up to the report release uh, interviews. And then what's the media consumption like? How many requests do you have? I guess you get pre-booked and then people phone up. Tell me, just give me a little bit of the 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 tradecraft, so to speak, behind how many people are interested in, in uh, hearing what you've got to say? Oh, and once we have the product, uh, the report, uh, and it's been ready for, I'd say, about a week now, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, both French and English, and then, of course, we uh, we sent out the report under embargo to people we trust, and uh, there's, there's a lot of them. I mean, media... Media is trustworthy. When you actually send out a report mm-hmm. under embargo, they absolutely trust uh, that. Um, I haven't they, seen anything. They, yeah, I haven't they, seen anything about it. Yeah, like they're very. Mm-hmm. I think that I had one breach one year, but it was very minimal. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, overall, very trustworthy. Uh, they've been uh, they've been very diligent. And since uh, I mean, we've basically interviewed with most major networks. Actually, I would say probably all major networks uh, and major newspapers. So we'll be in papers. Uh, we've been in papers uh, today. Uh, I I'm blessed with a really wonderful team this year. Typically, Michael, uh, I'm stuck with uh, with doing all the interviews coast to coast because mm-hmm. not many academics want to be in front of a camera. But this yeah. year, this year, I'm really lucky. I have. I think we have nine or ten people doing interviews oh, all that's together. Great. That's great. And uh, t- we started the day today with fifty-seven pre-booked interviews. Fifty-seven pre-booked interviews. Wow. Yeah. Now, are, are all those in Canada? Because I know the report 
you get publicity outside of uh, Canada as well. Yeah, typically for overseas, it it uh, it goes over next week. Like so, the the there's a lot of noise in Canada with the report, and typically you would basically get uh, some attention mm. from. Uh, from overseas uh, after that. Yeah, yeah. So Any, anybody left at CBC to talk to? I mean, are you still doing interviews with them? Just, yeah. So uh, well, the CBC they they're they'll be looking cuts. at the report quite a bit tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, or today, and uh, and frankly, it's uh, yeah, all network, uh, CTV, Global, CBC, uh, Radio Canada, French, TVA. I'm actually in Montreal today. Uh, to cover mm. most of the French because I'm the only guy of the 30 co-authors. I'm the only one that actually can speak French. So come on, it is- are you? Are you? Do you still have that? Uh, do you still have that gig on Salut Bonjour? Are you going on live? Or? That's that's the, my my first interview this morning. Mm. Yeah. Very good. And you're going to be there live. You're going to be in I'm studio be or are in you doing person? It? Yeah. Wow, I got to tune in. Fun. Yeah. So uh, so it'll be fun and uh, and so I, I I'm, I'm lined up for for a bunch of interviews for sure and uh, yeah. I mean. The, the, all of the work, the hard work is done. Typically, mm. the release day is it's more about having fun and, and enjoy yeah. and having conversations with people about about the future of food. But I'll be honest with you, this year, I mean, the news is actually much better. <laughs> it's in the last couple of years, it's been tough. Uh, you know, we were predicting some some higher mm-hmm. numbers, uh, higher food prices, and. Yeah. It wasn't easy to really tell people that it's going to be harder, and this year was particularly hard. Our forecast was accurate, but it was hard. Uh, so 2024, we're forecasting something that is going to be pro- probably much more manageable for consumers, which is good news. Right, so we could say a little easier to digest. <laughs> well, let's 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 start. To, for those unfamiliar uh, with the Canada Food Price Report, it is a joint effort. You're the lead author, I guess you describe yourself, uh, but it is a joint effort of several institutions. So, give us thirty seconds about who's involved in this and a little bit of the uh, process, and then we'll get into uh, the report itself. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, basically, we have uh, us. Of course, we're the lead uh, campus. We we take care of. The production of the of the report, and uh, we're accompanied by the University of Guelph in Ontario. Uh, our lead there is uh, Evan Fraser, who actually happens to be in Dubai this week. Mm. Um, Stuart Smith is our lead uh, over I- at the University of Saskatchewan, and our last partner is the University of British Columbia. And Kayleen Wiseman is our lead there, and uh, they uh, they have a really good team over there. So we wanted to, we wanted a coast to coast effort to kind of basically grasp different food realities across the country because when you travel across the country food is not the same thing it, it really changes from one place to another so uh, and it, it works i mean i think this is our fifth or sixth year together working together because initially it was mm-hmm. really i started this thing 14 years ago in guelph tran- transferred over to dal mm-hmm. and made it a multi-institutional effort uh five five six years ago so uh, let's start with the beginning with um, one of the things I know you always do is you look uh, you look at the last report Back, and kind yeah. of mark yourself or judge yourself on your accuracy. You already already mentioned that uh, you kind of came within your acceptable, your accurate. So give us a sense of how accurate last year's report was, just because that also uh, informs people how accurate the overall report is. And then we'll get to 2024. Yeah, no. So last year we were predicting a, um, a, a an increase of five to seven percent by the end of this year, and so we're at five point nine percent. But we keep in mind we actually stopped the clock in September because we have to do the oh, report okay. and do the modeling and all that. Uh, so is it couple, September to September? Is that a fair? Basically, or is it- that's basically it. Yeah, okay, exactly. Okay. And because because uh, you have to stop the clock at some point, or else sure. uh, it's it's tough to get. Four institutions organized because I lead four meetings with mm. four forecasts and build a consensus with 30 people, 30 PhDs. It's not easy. <laughs> so, so, and, and frankly, some of the stuff that, uh, that's written uh, in the report, it's not something I'm overly comfortable with. I, I'm, I'm okay with, uh, with some of the material because it's all mm. about the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the forecast itself, we are predicting a forecast of, of uh, we are expecting uh, food inflation to 
be anywhere between 2.5 to 4.5% by the end of this year. Mm. But I would say, I mean, some of the models we had were way over that, like mm. way over that. I won't tell you which campus, but one of them actually was way over 7%. Wow. Wow. Uh, and that that uh, number, I guess we're now we're into the 2024 report. That number is on a basket of goods because in the report you do break it down by uh, food groups or commodities, and some are uh, some are you expect, which is um, you would expect. I think it's beef. I think that is the highest. But uh, give us a yeah, breakdown. Meat, meat products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, meat, meat. That well, and so for 2024, 2.5 to 4.4 uh, to 4.5 percent. Uh, the three categories which will drive food inflation, we expect, uh, are vegetables, uh, bakery, and meat products. And so I don't think meat mm. products will will uh, make Canadians happy. But, I mean, actually, it makes sense. When you look at beef prices right now with the drought affecting inventories out west, mm-hmm. uh, pork prices have been depressed for a while. Uh, we, have, uh, we had Vincent Breton uh, on our podcast mm-hmm, a few mm-hmm. months ago and uh things aren't necessarily great it's one of the things i was going to talk about later there's uh, an article in the in the news about a, a crisis in pork uh, farming and pork production and in, in particular in the province of quebec yeah 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 exactly some farmers are being bought out and so so basically industry is recalibrating uh supplies are depressed and so prices are going to start to rise again uh chicken uh Affected by the flu a little bit, costs are, are gone mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, chicken is actually going to uh, to increase slightly. So meat is going to be a problem. When it comes to vegetables, we actually believe that the dollar is going to be a factor in 2024. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually we're we're expecting a weaker dollar versus the the, the greenback. I mean, I mean, the Middle East is making us a little bit nervous, to be honest. Uh, if uh, this thing escalates with with Israel. Oil can be an issue, and when mm-hmm. oil is an issue, you know what happens to the dollar? It can go up or down. It depends, mm-hmm. and uh, and that could actually impact commodity prices as well. So we're, uh, you know, if something happens in the Middle East in 2024, all bets are off, really. And when you say something happened, obviously something uh, horrendous has happened with the uh, Hamas attack on Israel, but you're also saying that if it if the conflict widens, that's what you're worried about. How do you factor that into the model? You're worried about it. Um, but does it factor into the percentage as a risk factor and therefore a little bit higher from a projection? Well, geopolitics are hard to measure. Like, uh, sure, like Ukraine, sure. for example, is another example. Mm-hmm. It's hard to understand because there, there are sanctions. So they, they, there's the event, like, for example, with Israel mm-hmm. uh, and Hamas. And then you have to wait and, and try to anticipate how... Decisions are going to be made, how the world will react. Mm. And, and often you see uh, a lot of politics involved. Uh, you see sanctions, you see allies. Because uh, mm. in, in and of itself, what's happening in uh, between um, Israel and, and Hamas and Gaza isn't really going to affect the price of food for us. We don't really source much food there. Not, not for not now. Not like no. Ukraine. I mean, the Ukraine has a pretty direct effect. Uh, yeah, being it had an effect. Supplier. It had mm-hmm. an effect, but uh, we're over that now. I think the world has actually been able to to uh, to figure out how to get grains out of the region without the Black Sea deal, and uh, and of course China has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, in the case of Israel, I mean, I, I think the big factor is is oil. I mean, that's bad. I mean, and oil is. Is actually is uh, is a big deal in that region. So, if oil is is disrupted in some way, or the um, the oil market is disrupted by what's going on in the Middle East in some way, uh, then it's going to be harder to predict exactly what's going to happen to food prices in Canada and elsewhere. And and how do you factor in climate events? We've talked several times. I mean, I was just reflecting back on your. You're even talking about the Mississippi River being low. Uh, I read um, the Suez Canal is low on water for the big super tankers. Uh, is there some kind of weather climate impact affected into? Oh, absolutely. Uh, In fact, actually, every year, do you know which network actually reads our pay, our, our report and actually wants to? Probably the Weather Network, right? The probably Weather the Network, weather absolutely. Network, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Weather Network always calls us, and I got to tell you, Michael, a lot of people watch. The weather yeah. network. Yeah. 
Oh, my God. Everybody, you know what they say, everybody complains about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. Taking it all in, you're projecting that, um, I guess the news is a little more more digestible. It's not coming down, though. It's still going up, right? No, so prices are still going up. But here's the deal about 2024. So I think we're going to see the end of this uh, so-called food inflation storm we're in. But you know what? I actually think that during the second half, hmm. some with some verticals, uh, things will tighten up. I actually expect, and we're already seeing it right now. I'm actually expecting uh, grocers to to uh, to to fight it out uh, and and try to make people more loyal. I think in 2023 we all became millennials. Millennials aren't loyal for hmm. one bit, hmm. and so we've been shopping around. We've We've actually decided to let go of some brands. Everyone became millennials, not being loyal, and mm. grocers will want us to become loyal again. And I think loss leaders are going to be back with a vengeance. There's mm. going to be more discounts, more rebates. Um, there's going to be also some some generous loyalty programs. Here's the other thing I thought about. A few months ago, I think it was in June, Costco was announcing that it will likely increase membership fees by $10 by December 1st. Mm-hmm. Never happened. It never happened. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they don't want to scare people off. They still want members to come. So hmm. I think the key battleground for 2024 for grocers is going to be loyalty. And, and we're going to benefit from that. And I actually am expecting some little mini price wars here and there mm. uh, in 2024, probably starting in June or July. And, and what behavior do you expect from the manufacturers? I mean, 70% of what the grocers, you know, 70, 70% of the price of what the grocers sell arrives at the back door. Is there similar food fights about to break out on the manufacturer side as well, do you think? Well, I don't. Uh, so, I mean, I, I actually don't think uh, a lot of things are going to change there. Mm. I mean, mm. I think the there's, there's, there's that the tug of war between suppliers and, and grocers are going to mm-hmm. continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know that in May of 2024, the code of conduct should be implemented. Uh, my guess is that it's uh, it's on life support right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we all know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because it's not going to be mandatory unless Ottawa makes it or forces the issue upon the industry. But uh, I, I, I highly doubt. But I do think that CPG companies, suppliers will continue to to, to fight it out. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it is going to be quite difficult, to be honest. Interesting. All right. Uh, any surprises? Anything you were surprised about uh, in the report? Anything jump out at well, you? Well, looking back at 2023, I got to say, I mean, I, I, all, year, all year long, I was actually quite, we, we spoke about this on the podcast all year round. I mean, for Q2 and Q3 specifically, consumers were spending less on food. Like I did, right. not, I did not see that coming. Like I absolutely didn't, and I actually validated that. I, I validated the data with Nelson IQ, and because at first I thought I was wrong, but everyone, people looking at data, were all seeing the same thing. We were all scratching our heads, so that was a big surprise. So what what that meant for our report this year is that we had to go back in time, revise our dollar amount. And so the starting point for 2024 was was not necessarily the one that we were predicting. So the percentage we got, 5.9%, but we actually missed. Uh, it was a huge miss for the dollar amount as a result of the fact that people weren't spending less. And and have we have we decided or come to some conclusion about what's happening? Are people eating less? Like uh, we. What's we, going on? We don't on? know for sure. Uh, right. my, 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 are they the, wasting less? I mean, is, is, we don't. Hypothesis that I'm hearing: people are wasting less. Uh, people are trading down. People are using different channels uh, beyond the traditionals to buy food. Um, some people are saying it's the food banks. I don't buy that. Uh, mm. Are people uses eating up. less? But use is up three hundred percent. Right? Yeah, no? it is. Uh, so that may. It may actually be uh, one reason, but I, I don't know because mm. we're talking about billions of dollars here. Sure, I mean it's not the food rescuing industry is big, but not that big. It's a factor. It, it wouldn't be the sole contributor to something like that. Exactly. But you, it's, you it's, would you would consider that one of several factors. But exactly, you know. Okay, so l- last question. So if you had to say 
there's a bunch of factors in this. Um, maybe people are, are uh, eating less. Maybe they're all on Ozempic and they're eating less. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe Ozempic. Ozempic, uh, maybe they're food insecure, unfortunately. Maybe they uh, are, are being a little more smarter about because uh, they listen to our podcast about best before dates and things like that. Are these all contributing factors to where you think the hypothesis I builds? I think so, yeah. To that? Okay. But, but, but in Q4, so I did, I did talk to Nielsen IQ, and in, and in Q4, we actually saw a um, – a pause uh, that trend has stopped so people are starting to spend more again i think it was really about you know the 10 rate hikes in a row sure. by the bank of canada that was a huge violent shock for a lot of people and so they just retreated at the grocery store but i think mm. we're past that okay. and people are starting to adjust let's uh, move on from the report uh, where uh, we'll put a, a link into the show notes so you can actually get the report right it'll be it's published today downloadable lots of other great content in the report in both uh official languages so um yep maybe we'll come back to it i'd love to talk to you next week about the general vibe and, 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 and by the way i i do want to thank all of our partners mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. guelph uh ubc and and saskatchewan they've been terrific uh we have in total 42 people working on this report so the 30 co-authors plus the staff uh, behind the scenes uh doing all the work the design the writing you know booking interviews all that stuff i mean there's lots of people behind the scenes and I do want to thank them all for for all the work because it wouldn't be possible without them I you know at, at the fir- at the very beginning 14 years ago I was doing basically everything on my own but the report wasn't what it is today so and and frankly without them I, I it wouldn't be possible to do what we're doing today all right well let's move on uh, so one of my favorite movies is Bon Cop Bad Cop, Bad Cop. he's from Quebec <sighs> Martin Ward David Butchard. The subject was a true Quebecer. His heart is in Quebec. Yes, but his ass belongs to you. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. So many great lines. You're in Montreal. The subject, divorced, works about 75 hours a week, which I gather from Montreal is a lot. But let's talk about Bon Cop, Bad Cop 28. <laughs> the climate behemoth that, what is it now, 84,000 people and even more? I mean, the numbers keep going up. There's yeah, estimates are about 100,000. But if you actually add the green zones, it's up to 400,000. You know, 400,000 people. And and so there's lots of controversy uh, that you, people may have read about. You think? I mean, uh, <laughs> You know, that, you know, anyway, these interviews coming out from the, from the chair and the Petro State that's basically sponsored. Well, there, We're not getting rid of any of that. To look, I mean, there are two ways to look at this. You either say, oh my goodness, that's, that's so embarrassing to see the chair of the event signing oil deals and uh, not recognizing the science uh, that phasing out fossil fuels. Al Gore, you know, that was Al Gore. Al Gore was certainly uh, tweaked up about it. He was like, oh yeah, he was tweaked up. But you know what? I actually think that this probably is the first cop uh, where we're actually seeing a debate, like an actual debate mm. on the issue. And uh, so I know th- there's a huge delegation from Alberta, a huge delegation from Saskatchewan. So they're pretty involved in this, this in these discussions. So they can't say that they've been shut out. The, the thing about cops uh, in the past is that they tend to um, push away uh, people who may not agree with activists environmental activists but but it seems as though uh, in dubai there's there's more of a balance what what the reason why dubai i think is important for us is that it is the first time uh cop is is giving a lot more attention to food in particular that's that's the difference and and frankly i'm not sure I'm not sure they're going to do anything uh, significant uh, just because of the controversies that we're talking about. Uh, I, it's, I, it's I all... saw some stuff about methane limits and no eating meat. I mean, it seems to be, you know, okay, t- let's talk about the the good parts. I mean, some of what you're describing is the good parts, like a fulsome discussion from all kinds of sides about a very, obviously, probably the most important 
issue. But then on the other side, some just some nutty stuff coming out of there. And I'm, then again, <laughs> on the positive side, like I, I was like, who the hell goes to this what's, thing? And what's I, nutty? What's nutty? I, I just, you know, I don't know. Some of the statements I've seen coming out of there are just, uh, you know, oh, of course, stop eating meat and, and that, you know, some but kind the of, methane deal, I don't know. know why they're making a big deal. The methane deal. We already signed a methane deal at COP26. And the reason why I, I didn't feel it was important for me to go at, at COP28 is we know what we need to do. I mean, in Paris in 2015, we, we have targets. We need to do something. So mm-hmm. we've all agreed on targets, what we need to do. On methane at COP26, the deal was already there. So they're kind of refresh. It's a bit of a refresh on some of the deals mm-hmm. that we've seen in the past. And do you need 100,000 people to go to the middle of the desert to to be yeah. reminded of some of the things that, is, that are going on around the world? I, I just don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I did see that one of our former guests, who I have a ton of respect for, Christian Hebert, is there. Is um, there, yeah. So that actually elevated the COP28 in, in my eyes. Like, oh, okay, there's serious people there talking about serious things. <laughs> uh, Otherwise, it looked like it. Like, like when you are invited what, you don't, to go, you don't, you don't, you're not a fan of Al Gore. I'm a big fan of Al Gore, uh, but I, yeah. in in the food world, you know, like like I'm like who's there, and and they would have paid your full freight to go, right? Like, who funds all this stuff? Where does all this money come from? Yeah, and, I know exactly. Um, anyway, all right. So let's just, uh, you know, we we'll talk about this again. But basically, what's the the best thing so far that you think is coming out of COP 28? Because it continues on for like what oh, six months or something, right? Um, yeah. uh, so what's the best thing? What's the worst thing? Well, I mean, the first day there was a, there was a, a declaration on, on food and gas emissions that was signed by 134 countries, including Canada. Uh, but it was just a declaration. It was quite aspirational, really not detailed. I don't know if you looked at it, but it didn't, it didn't say let's stop eating meat. The problem with that Michael, is that some groups, as you know, will take that declaration and say, well, we need to stop eating meat. And mm-hmm. that becomes a problem mm-hmm. because food is personal, food is cultural, food is traditional. I mean, it's just, and, and that's, when, that's when the environmental agenda is really making a lot of people feel uncomfortable. And, and, uh, we, and, and my latest op-ed this week on COP28 is, is exactly about that. Okay. I think we need to focus on making sure that we are decarbonizing the food economy, but to compromise our ability to honor our traditions and culture as a as a as a community of citizens. Mm. I mean, let's face it, in Canada, we have a rich history around animal proteins. We have supply management. It's all about animal proteins. I mean, seriously. We've we have policies in place to support very important sectors in our economy, like cattle, like pork, mm-hmm. like supply management, the SM5s. We need to keep that in mind and not to go too far. So that's the one thing that concerns me when I see some of these things happening. And, and the methane deal to me was just, you know, cow farts. Yeah, we need <laughs> to deal with them, I guess. Remember, remember, when Ronald, remember, remember when Ronald Reagan actually said that it contributed more or less and he was actually kind of right but people people mocked him for saying but that, it was too know, early it was too early we, people weren't thinking i i did notice that it wasn't nestle Danone is is a signature uh big six uh signed on to the what's called the dairy methane alliance or something like that i guess like so i guess yeah all right well let's move on to some other stuff uh i was noticing that um craft dinner was in the news for two reasons this week <laughs> Uh, two reasons. One was that they announced there's a plant-based, no dairy, no dairy, no yeah. dairy cheese version. And I have to admit, I didn't think that was cheese to begin with. I know, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I actually, yeah, like you, I actually learned that there was dairy in the former <laughs> like what? Is there? Wow. Um, now, by the way, for all the craft people Honestly, you, you, you shut down the lights, it glows in the dark. <laughs> I for all, kid you for, not. And if anybody knows me, they all know I actually love Kraft Dinner. So not to bust on Kraft Dinner, but have you ever explained to an to to, to a European what KD is? After you know a couple of sentences, they go, "What? Well, People you know, eat they, that? Listen, they got they got their own weirdness. Two things. Um, one is a, a Kraft Dinner, uh, plant based Kraft Dinner, which I'm like, hey, that's great. I guess I'm going to give it a try because I'm kind of curious. And then two. They got caught with their hands in the uh, pasta jar a little bit 
with a bit of shrinkflation on the latest. 25 grams. And then there is this big story that came out, and I'm kind of segueing to another big story with the folks from Cheerios, who someone actually measured how much Cheerios was in a box, and they were, like, way off. Yeah, like, I know. way off. And you know what, 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 what was interesting to me was that they got caught red-handed, and uh, the stuff's been on the shelves for months, and their response was, yeah, the packaging's wrong, but uh, yeah, you know, by January, February, the packaging uh, will phase its way out, and yeah, we made a bit of a mistake. Isn't there laws against this kind of thing, where you say it's one thing and it turns out to be another? Like, you think they'd have a little bit more, geez, we need to relabel the boxes or get it off the shelf? I mean, I don't want to waste food, but... Isn't there some kind of laws against this stuff? Well, I mean, in, in terms of in, in Cheerios, in, in, in the case of Cheerios, uh, it uh, it was uh, the General Mills actually claimed that it was a one-time mistake. Okay, it's still on the but shelves it, it, for four months, convincing people it's literally like fifty percent more that that like. But I get, it is it is essentially food fraud because right, food fraud it? is really about uh, mislabeling, and so. Uh, there's nothing wrong selling less, and shrinkflation is not this illegal is not right, as right. long as you actually put on the package the, the accurate information. Before we get to our interview with uh, Alex Green, Michael Medlines testifying Monday uh, in front of a bunch of uh, political characters. Did you watch it? Uh, I did not watch it. I watched um, it. But you know, if I knew, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a geek. I'm a policy geek, so I, I actually, watch these things. You know, if if I had planned my day better, so I didn't know ahead of time. But if I had planned my day better, uh, I do like watching Michael uh, speak. Uh, he's so very articulate and and um, he's very uh, authentic. Well, any of the any of the any senior grocer, any senior retailer, I'll watch any time because they're all very very smart um, people. But I, you know, but anyway, so I missed it. So any comments on his? What was he there to? Was he just back testifying about what they're going to do about stuff and give us a give us the yeah no he actually mentioned my name uh once or twice uh which was no it's true (laughs) actually was was there any cussing before or after that when he said that (laughs) no that effing sir (laughs) lebois no i I think he did a good job uh, overall but he was banging on that code of conduct drum quite a bit yeah. Quite a bit. He's, like, he, yeah, he's, I, a, he's a fan of it, just so that everyone is. As, is as I am. Here. As mm-hmm. I am. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll admit that I am a big fan. In fact, it's in our report, the mm-hmm. Canada's Food Price Report. Uh, mm-hmm. As a group of 30 people, we wanted to endorse the, the code of conduct. We're, uh, we are recommending that if we are to uh, aspire to increase competition in this country, it's one of the things we need to think about. And uh, so I agree with Michael on that one. And uh, but overall, I thought it was a pretty. It was a civilized session because Jackman Singh wasn't there, and it really helped. They actually had a conversation, and so it was actually much more pleasant to watch than last time. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I guess they tape these kind of things, right? I guess. If, yeah. I guess I was we- supposed to testify on Monday, yeah, yeah. Uh, December eleventh, but uh, I, I postponed up? it because I'm actually going to be out of the country. So, oh, okay. So I'm going to be back in January. All right, so you'll be back in January, and this does this thing ever end? This testifying, <laughs> like this, is there so an end this, point to this? This uh, these sessions are about stabilizing prices, okay. whatever, whatever the hell that means. Are they just going to keep calling them to Ottawa until they say uncle, or until they like what? What's the like? I, it's a serious question. What's the end point to this? Like, what's the point of arrival? You shouldn't we, be asking arrived. me because I, I actually I have, I have no idea because I've always, uh, and I've said that to Minister Champagne, is that I actually think that the problem is resolving itself despite Ottawa, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I all due respect, I actually think that we're going in the right direction. Don't do anything and we'll be okay. But they want to do something to show. Well, they could do uh, something. Just, I mean, we've talked on this show. They could actually do something. Of course um, they do. Can, they can do something. But they still but, haven't uh, done anything. I mean, they, anyway, don't get me started on this. They get they yeah. just call everybody there, and they don't. They don't. They, it's not productive for, from their perspective, anyway. All right. Well, listen. Let's uh, let's take a break now from the news, and let's get to our uh, fantastic interview uh, with Alex Green from Longos.
Alex, welcome to the Food Professor Podcast here live at the Coffee Association Conference. How the heck are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. That's great. Look, it's it's a real treat, a real treat to have you on the mic. Uh, so for those who uh, don't know of you, you just uh, we're going to talk about what you were just talking about on the stage and sure. a bunch of other stuff. And uh, Alex is not the first Longo joining us on our show. He is not. Ooh. We've had uh, Jenny Longo has been on the show talking yeah. about hey, the great work she does in private ago, label. Was yeah, it? Okay. it was. Yeah. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background and, and what you do for a living? Yeah, my name is Alex Green. I'm currently the Chief Experience Officer at Longos. I've been there um, a little over six years. Um, you know, as the as the Chief Experience Officer, I'm really sort of responsible for two main things. I mean, one is I spend a lot of time um, with a cross-functional team trying to get to a really clear definition of, you know, what is our competitive strategy and how do we translate that into a, a great guest experience? Because if we know what that is and we know how we can create value, then, then we get much more aligned strategically as an organization. Uh, and then the other side is, you know, rolling up my sleeves and, and leveraging my marketing background really mm-hmm. to drive out, you know, how that's expressed through store design, through our marketing and go to market. Um, we do a lot of work on, on in-store experiences like demo programs and cooking schools. We have a vibrant loyalty program and all the analytics that, that come out right. of that. Yep. Um, so it's, it's trying to knit all of those things together and being a champion for the team and, and that guest experience. So for the audience outside of Ontario may not be familiar with Longos because, because you tell us a little bit more about your network, how many stores do you have and, and, uh, the story behind Longos in general? Yeah. Great question. Longos is, has been in business largely in Southern Ontario. It started in Toronto. It's, um, a little over 65 years old and it was founded by, uh, three Italian immigrants, three brothers. Yep. And they started with a single fruit market, um, downtown Toronto. And it was, you know, it was built on just a handful of really simple principles. Um, they're very entrepreneurial. They've got a huge passion for fresh and produce in particular, which was the starting point. And then a couple of, you know, basic principles like, um, you know, treating people like family, only offering something to one of our guests that you would offer to your own family and just these sort of these things that allowed us to create and scale in this this family to go from the single store up to thirty eight stores that we have now. Yep. Um, built around this great guest experience that's largely anchored in fresh. So we're very fanatical about fresh. It started with tons of momentum and expertise around produce, but that's expanded into meat and seafood, bakery, deli, yep. prepared foods, kitchen. Yep. Um, and then you know that's that's really the heart of of what makes the experience of yeah. Longo's unique. And then it's fun it's, fact for yeah. you. Okay, please. so I used to teach at Guelph at New Guelph before yeah. going going to to Dal. I ran um, I, I taught the capstone course of the MBA program in agribusiness. Okay, great. And so I basically did a live case study with a company coming into class, telling my students you got a week to fix this problem, like a yeah. real problem. So did some life case studies with Pepsi, Nestle, Coca-Cola, and one time with Longo. That's great. But the difference uh, with Anthony, because I was dealing with yeah. Anthony, is that he wanted absolutely the class to be delivered in Vaughn at head office. Mm. That's great. So we were busing in from Guelph, yeah. into our class every day <laughs> for five days to teach that class at Longo's. And let me tell you, Gus was there. Yeah. I mean, it was so great because you felt you were part of the family. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is so who Longo's is, right? Like a, a huge part of what makes Longo's successful is this really strong culture, these great team members that all live those values every day. Um, and it's, it's really unique. Um, and it's, I know just in terms of my own experience, it's been totally unique. I've worked mm. for lots of great organizations. And you came from more of a food service yeah, background, I if I remember. And then I you, food service and then Longo CMO and then now the, the more all encompassing role, right? Yeah. Yeah. I started, so my career started in, in advertising. So sort of like storytelling and go to market. Uh, and then I spent a lot of time at entrepreneurial Canadian food service companies. Um, and then, yeah, six years ago, made the move to, to grocery and, and the, I mean, the best part has been the culture and the entrepreneurial spirit of Congo. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's yeah. really fast moving. It's, uh, it's really hands on. They, they live those values of treating people like family with care and warmth. And that translates yeah. into the guest experience as well as what it feels like to work there every day. And it's been a busy year, busy couple of years for Longos because now you're, <laughs> you're part of a partnership, yeah. uh, which I'm sure in some ways, I mean, the, the, it's kind of your same partner bought a, a, a former competitor, but now a, a fellow company farm boy. And the yeah. big emphasis, you know, I'm from Ottawa, where Farm Boy came from, and the yeah. big emphasis and the message, loud and clear, back to the Empire Group and Michael Medline, was don't screw it up. 
Yeah. Like, I love my farm boy. And I think, I think, I don't think that was a new lesson for the leadership, but it it feels the same for Longos. Like, keep, you got it for a reason. Your partner's for a reason. Don't homogenize the experience. Is that, is that very much the, the the conversations on a day to day basis? Yeah. I mean, they, you know, um, I think that that sums it up really well. I mean, the, the, the connection and the relationship with Empire has been great. Um, the culture and the fit around the values has been has been very aligned. Um, but essentially, we're still run as an independent company. Um, yeah. And the only time we integrate is when there's the chance where we all see those shared mm. benefits and we can create more value for our guests and more value for the business. So yeah. I think Grocery Gateway is a really good example, right? Yeah, we, yeah. That's I, integrated now into Voila, right? That's now integrated into So. Yeah. We still have, you know, the ability to, to deliver you know, all of our, our Longos products and deliver mm-hmm. those experiences to our guests. We're now leveraging this, this much more scaled and efficient platform. Um, that's a lot to be able to do it. So that, that's a really nice yeah. example of the win-win. Um, but mostly they sort of, you know, they let us do our thing and they help us out where they can. Yeah, here's a big, here's a big pencil to buy some real estate. So let's talk about, well... The, the the topic of the day, the topic of the year, inflation. Yeah, uh, it impacts marketing for sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, so let me ask from your standpoint: How do you think uh, inflation has impacted your your business, your your customers uh, at Longos generally? It's a tough time to be a consumer. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about it at the at the conference today. I mean the the broad inflation across all areas of the economy. You know, the crunch from the higher interest rates and the number of mortgages that are being renewed. I mean, like, I think every consumer has felt the, the reduction in their buying power. Mm. Um, so it, it is a real challenge, um, and it's impacting food security for a lot of Canadians. Um, there, was a, there was a stat from the Canadian Bread Food Bank that um, showcased that visits to the food bank were up 50% leading up to the The hunger count, yeah. yeah. So and we spoke about that on the yeah. podcast. So yeah. it's, it, it is, it is a, it's a real challenge that, um, that many Canadians are experiencing. So I don't know. I mean, I, like we, we absolutely are trying to figure out how to best shift our business to, to respond to that. So, you know, for us, that, you know, that's doubling down on key programs that help us get food back into our communities for those in need. So we're, we're big sort of leaders on programs like Neighbor in Need, which is all about getting, you know, the right food, the high demand food into local food banks. We're big proponents twice a year on Toonies for Tummies, which is meals for kids at school that, that show up and, and don't necessarily have that food security to start the day properly. So yeah. doubling down on those. Um, and then it's about how do we create more value within, uh, you know, within the experiences that we're creating for our guests. So, mm-hmm. you know, we talked a little bit earlier about Jenny and all the great work yep. That, yep. that Jenny's been leading on private label. We're more aggressive on private label than we've ever been before yeah, in yeah. terms of its ability. And you've got multi-layered value. private label now, whereas yeah. before you had uh, the Curado line, and now you've got kind of a more yeah. base. I don't know what you call it internally, we, but a more basic essentials. line. Essentials. Just a essentials. Like, yeah, essentials. Yeah, yeah. This is stuff you just got to check off your list. Yeah. They're, they're commoditized products. You want to be out there with, with right. the best price possible. So making sure that's a, that's a big part of our assortment so that um, we've got the convenience. How, how, how many private label products do you have in your portfolio approximately? Several thousand. Several thousand. Oh, really? Yeah, there's wow. a lot. Really lean into that. And that's another example where our partnership with... With Empire has also um, mm-hmm. really helped us in terms of network and connection. Same thing with Farmboy in terms of how we can we can build more momentum against. You, you have some value. synergies with Farmboy. Uh, yeah, there's you, you work with the Farmboy. Yeah, there's yeah. there's connections across the team in terms of where are the best practices, where can we create more value. Let's right. let's talk about uh, let's talk about coffee for for a bit. As I as I walk the aisles of a of a Longos, you got a very rich coffee uh, section with yeah. lots of different brands. How do you how do you view? Uh, the uh, what you want to put on the shelf from what consumers are asking for. You got a lot of great data, as you said. You got a yeah. rewards program. Uh, you can you know load it up yourself all the way to bespoke, uh, you know fair trade coffees. What, what how do you see that part of the aisle, and and how do you think about that? And what were you? I guess what were you sharing here in front of all the coffee people talking about the that particular beverage? Our like we offer a variety of coffee experiences in the context of Longo. So we yep. have our, our traditional sort of uh, retail set. Um, we have a lot of Starbucks um, integrated into our stores. And then yep. we also have our sort of proprietary in-house locally roasted program, which is Aromatech. So I think, I think for us, it's trying to find the right mix and balance between those three things. Mm-hmm. They're, they're typically quite different sort of journeys and occasions for guests. 
Um, but it's the it's the alchemy of tuning those up to those different journeys that I think is is creating the the momentum within our business within the coffee segment. You know, I have to admit, I'm I'm most excited about um, some of the results and the traction that we're seeing around programs like Aromate. I, you know, if you if you have the opportunity to visit our Lee Side store, which is an absolutely fantastic shopping experience, we have a great team member there, John, who's uh, he will he will custom roast a coffee for you, and <laughs> it's it. It is a, it's a really cool experience. Our guests love it. It creates, you know, real distinction um, and a, like a bond both to that store and the mm. experience. He'll have it ready for you the next week when you come back in. So That's great. It's I mean, part of your AI ideas there. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Think, is it at the right temperature? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't replace, like it, can't replace that skill. It's, it's funny. Well, but that, to your point of like you can't replace that skill, I think as, as AI is, is changing things so quickly and it's, 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 it's actually very democratized in how accessible it is, yeah. I think, I think it, that those more human experiences are going to become increasingly valuable. So mm-hmm. like when we chart out the next few years, yes, I think AI will help us optimize that assortment to make sure we have the right mm. brands at the right prices for, for what our guests are looking at at that moment. And that'll continue to flex and evolve. But I think the real distinction for us and the real value over time, like we have a very strong culture. It's about team members and how we treat people. It's the Johns of the world that I think will be at the forefront mm. of how we create growth um, and we create this really healthy ecosystem of stores and communities and guests around experiences. So, uh, so you've got um, uh, you just opened up a store in Brooklyn, out out in the east. Yeah. Uh, you've got a new store, North Mississauga. You got a big one coming in South Mississauga. Yeah, you got a lot going on. You integrated how many uh, stores in Mississauga? Mississauga. This will be six by the time you're done. Six or seven, right? Like a lot. Oh my god, yeah, it's a big community. Integrated, as you said. Gorsha Gateway into Vala Laco and how do you yeah. see innovation from your perspective and what the cons- you, you know you're overseeing mm. the experience of shopping in the stores I remember I remember talking to Anthony a bunch of years ago he said you know we don't see self-serve in our locations yeah. but in Applewood they're there and I love them sometimes but yeah. other times I'll give you an example I go every Friday morning I bring my 90 year old mom shopping at Longo's every Friday morning wow Pushes the cart around. It's a yeah. perfect size for its applewood. Great. And, and um, you know, I, I, she likes it because she likes to talk to the cashiers, yeah. the associates. I mean, you know, I, I, in Europe, the cashiers sit down and there's a chat lane. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you thinking of these things, these, these kind of innovations as you, yeah. you know, not just to make the store physically the bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, it's one thing to make the store physically bigger, expand the offerings, make it more, you know, all those kind of things. Yeah. If a store would do it in Canada, it would be Longo's. You know that that approach. Yeah. What do you? How do you think? About, without kind of giving away the trade secrets, how do you think about innovation? As you think about, it, I got a bigger footprint to work with. What can, what else can we do? What do we try? Yeah. Where do we try it? How do we try it? How do we measure it? Yeah. I mean, I'm. I don't know. I've got a. I've got a couple of thoughts. I mean, I think your 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 example of the self checkouts is a great one, <laughs> right? It's that you know we were originally like, oh, do our do our guests really want that? Is that going to work in our experience? But for about thirty percent of transactions and guests, they love it. Yeah. Um, so how do we create the right balance so we're optimized for those different guests and what they need and want? And the, the, the opportunity for us in something like that is that's actually going to free up a bunch of labor that we can then invest in other areas where it can create value. And right. that's the balance. Um, so how can we better service our guests and align it with what they want? We're, we are spending a lot of time um, working on our store experience and how we have continued to evolve. And we've got lots of new stores in the pipeline, and that's super yeah. exciting. Brooklyn was great. It was a good reminder. It opened strong. The guests really wrapped their arms around us in terms of the community. And it's, it's off a neighborhood to, in it's Whitney. A great start. For all yeah. the listeners, it's a neighborhood in uh, in Whitney versus uh, south of Manhattan. Just yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You just, might be just outside of Toronto. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. Just outside. Yeah, bedroom community. Yeah. Um, so we know we do a lot of things really well. We have modernized our design system a lot mm-hmm. over the last six years sure signage is yeah signage you know the material choices the lighting um so i don't know like it it what's been really great about that that feedback is it's given us a chance to step back and say well what could it be like what if we wanted to bring more of the warmth of a traditional market feel and design of the experience what would that look like what would that look like so that gets us into like materials lighting layout how would we set our team members up to be more service oriented versus task oriented? Mm-hmm. So how do we, you know, how do we make sure every time you come to our, our our cheese island with 300 plus cheeses from all over the world that the right person is there with the right yeah. knowledge to be like, can I help you? What do you need? 
Yeah. So I think there are areas where we can improve in that front. And that's, I think that's what we're really excited about going after um, as we think about some of these new stores to innovate and build and, and get reconnected to that, the warmth of the, the values and the, hmm. and the service. And I also think like the freshness and the organic feel you get in a market. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, I think there's some really interesting work and that, that touches on how we merchandise that touches on our, like what our produce tables look yeah. like. It's like it's the chance to just sort of polish up this diamond and, and really take it to the next level all built around that experience. Cause I think the, the warmth of that experience and how it makes people feel and the trust and the connection is going to be such a huge part of how this brand continues to, hmm. to grow and thrive. To flourish, because you're, you're yeah. flourishing now. Yeah, so. Exactly. Well, listen, Alex, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Food Professor podcast. It's been great. And uh, it's, it, 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 it really, it's clear that you're enjoying your journey at Longo's. And so uh, congratulations on your success. And uh, yeah, hope to see you again. Great. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a great episode so far. A couple of little things to wrap it up. Um, do you believe in ghosts? Paranormal I believe, ghosts? I, be, I believe in you. Well, uh, <laughs> article out in uh, CNN talking about the, the demise of ghost kitchens. Uh, so, oh, you know, okay. at, a, at a point where we thought, I remember you and I talked because, you know, this is a COVID project that could, that this was a big thing. You could, you know, create a brand virtually. You just put it up on Skip or Uber Eats. Wow, this is great. You can, and it turns out it doesn't work. It turns out that uh, people saw through it and uh, the business is collapsing. So there's a couple of big restaurant chains in the U.S., a couple of big hotel chains that said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to fund this. And they've all wrapped up. There's a, there's a startup that sucked up some private equity money that was going to be the powering of this. Um, and it's all flaming out. So I, I, I color me a little bit surprised um, that um, people would say, no, listen, I want to see that there's chairs. I want to see you physically exist. Uh, and so there's, I guess, some skepticism. And, and does that surprise you? I, I thought it would be a longer term trend than, I'm, than what I'm reading. Uh, I'm surprised that we're actually burying the concept already. I think there is a future for that mm-hmm. concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's too early to tell. I mean, uh, I actually do think that there is something there with real estate prices and everything that's going on with the, with the food service industry. You go where the money is, people will actually be eating more, will be dining out more at home. And so the concept right. of ghost kitchens, I actually think, is uh, is quite has merit uh, over time. So I do see favorable conditions for the model. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bury the model right away, to be honest. Well, I tell you, Kroger's burying the model. They um, they launched their Kitchen United, which was uh, backed by Kroger and 175 yeah, million dollars. Yeah, but Kroger's dollars. a grocer. Wendy's and Applebee's. So Applebee's folded up Cosmic Wings. So a bunch of people are exiting it. Maybe that's you and me. Uh, maybe that's our retirement plan right there. We're going to go counter trend. Exactly. We're going to get. Exactly. We're going to get into ghost food from the farm in Mississauga. Food from the farm <laughs> uh, from Mike and Sylvain's. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, listen. Great episode. Um, let's uh, let's leave it there. Uh, I'm Michael Blanc, consumer growth consultant, uh, podcaster, keynote speaker, and you are. I'm. The food professor, Sylvain Charlebois. Coming to us from the beautiful Montreal. Montreal. Um, safe travels, and we'll get on the mic, and I want to hear all about it next week. All right. Take care. Enchanté. Enchanté. Hey, on est tombé sur un gars qui peut parler le français.